Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and today we're bringing on a special guest. We're going to be talking draft, going to be talking schedule, and of course, talking about some Mike Holmgren era Seahawks. I'm bringing on the host of the Believe in Seahawks podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, former three-time Pro Bowl linebacker, second-round pick for the Seahawks, played six years with the team, also a member of the Seahawks' 35th anniversary team. Lofa Tatupu joins the show. Let's get right to it, Lofa. I want to talk about uh, your initial impression of Jordan Brooks coming out of the draft here recently. Yeah, well, thank you for having me first and foremost. And, uh, you know, always excited to add a linebacker, you know, being a former linebacker. So um, I got to see some of his highlights, very aggressive. And what I've been saying is he reminds me a lot of the way or the style that Michael Kendricks plays. And Mm. so... I think now you still got to beat out Barton, right? But I think that's a guy that can compete over there at that Sam position, Sam linebacker, and play a similar role to to what we saw Kendricks do. It does kind of feel like the obvious spot for him, right? Because obviously you have a future Hall of Famer on the field, at middle linebacker, you still got KJ Wright on the field. So with Michael Kendricks being gone, it, it does seem like the logical spot for a guy who is a first round pick. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what I see. And, you know, first round pick, you know, they generally want those guys to play. Right. Um, They believe that they're ready for it. That's why they're they're selected in the top 32 of the draft in terms of players taken. And um, like I said, eerily reminiscent of the way the aggressive attacking style that Kendricks played. I think Brooks had 100 tackles this year and 20 of them were for a loss. So one fifth of his tackles. Uh, and I mean, the only other guy I remember having, you know, numbers like that was my, my guy, Leroy Hill, when I think Leroy had about 30 or 32 tackles for a loss in one season. So you're always happy to, uh, to add a linebacker of their caliber. I got to say, as a Seahawks fan, though, I'm just not conditioned to the Seahawks taking linebackers in the first round. <laughs> I went back and, look at, and looked at it and Lofa, you were drafted at number 45 overall back in 2005. And since that time, there've been just two Two guys picked by the Seahawks prior to that pick. And one of them was your former teammate, Aaron Curry. And Mm -hmm. now the second one is Jordan Brooks. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see how, you know, it plays out. But, you know, the the good thing, I don't, we went into this draft without a, you know, a need. We, you know, we didn't have to draft for need. And that's definitely something that you want to do going into a draft. You want to be able to take best available. And so when we got to our pick, yeah, shocked that we didn't trade out like we had in past and acquired a couple more picks uh, and then the later rounds. But, um, you know, I have full faith in what, what John and, and Pete have been doing over the years. You look at the drafts, uh, we, we found a lot of, you know, phenomenal players over the years in, in each draft. There's been a couple that are just – they make the Pro Bowl within two or three years. Um, and then in some cases, you know, Russell, Bobby, um, you know, Earl Thomas, you know, potential Hall of Famers. You know, we saw recently here, too, that the numbers for the rookies came out, and it looks like Brooks picked 56, and obviously Cliff Averill known for wearing that number here recently. There, there's been uh, other guys who've worn it, though, since Cliff left a, a little while back. Uh, back in 2005, though, you became the highest drafted linebacker since Anthony Simmons, while we're going mm. to draft history, and he was drafted out of Clemson in 98. So you wore number 51, but so did Simmons. So... Was that something that went into your consideration of who wore the number before you when you were picking that number? 
funny story was I didn't even get to pick my number. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, and, you know, I figured they were pretty hard on rookies, you know, but that didn't, I thought you'd at least get to pick your number. But um, when we were going through the process, I, I wanted 58 and I, you know, I hadn't, you know, I didn't know the roster at the time, but my good friend, Isaiah Kazavinsky, um, he was running 58. And so they were like, that's out of the question. Then I was like, okay, well, let me get 55. And, uh, they were like, ah, Jamie Sharper, we just acquired him, you know, in the free agency, he's got 55. I go, you know what? Why don't you guys just give me a number? (laughs) And, uh, so they gave me 51 and it's fitting though, because, um, when I was growing up, one of my uncles, Anthony, um, he played linebacker and he always wore 51. And so it was cool. And even more, you know, one of my mentors and, you know, the phenomenal Ken Norton Jr., who coached me uh, at SC, he rocked 51. So the number has definite significance in my life. And it's fitting that it was given to me. I wasn't even really allowed to choose my number. Because I feel like going into it, you would think, well, shoot, you know, here was a guy who had a lot of success. And I I was expecting, you know, to hear that, you know, just the mindset going into it that you want to be better than the guy who wore it. But, uh, you know, just having it given to you, that's uh, another oh, way to go to, I suppose. No, I got, I got a lot of respect for Simmons, uh, phenomenal talent. And uh, it was, uh, it was, yeah, I went 58 because I wore 58 at USC, right? Right. And then my second option was 55 because... You know, 55 was the coveted number at, um, you know, all the chosen greats, Sayal, McGinnis, um, Claiborne, all the greats, Keith, my boy Keith Rivers, they all wore 55. And those, you know, were all prominent players in the history, all, you know, all Americans and everything at SC. So that was that number. And that's why I was like, hey, I can't get it at, at SC. Maybe I'll wear it in the league. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, I'm very, you know, very happy and grateful that I did get to wear 51. Well, players right now are going through a virtual mini camp, and I'm, I'm sure you saw this. Pete Carroll bringing on Will Farrell for one of the meetings. You know, you were there for Coach Carroll's first year in the NFL, but you know, I suppose you knew what it was like having him. You know, back at USC too, having him as coach. Were there any celebrity moments that stood out in your mind, either at USC or in Seattle? Oh man, I mean, you know, Pete. Pete's a uh, he, he's a he's a rock star himself, you know, everywhere he goes. So, uh, you know, he had the actors and, you know, all the musicians, everybody, Snoop Dogg, uh, Will Ferrell, they were all in practice. It wasn't, you know, it became our norm to see all these stars, whether, you know, regardless of profession. And, um, you know, maybe that even translated to us, you know, not taking it for granted, but making it our norm and not being so, you know, shocked when we when we saw or met one but it was always he always kept it light and and um that was what was fun about it i have to imagine though just being a new rookie in the league like for some of these guys who maybe didn't have that kind of college experience coming into it and all of a sudden here is will ferrell showing up and in one of their meetings on one of their first days (laughs) yeah i mean absolutely um you know it's definitely a treat for those guys and um you know, I guess we, we were spoiled at SC with, with that with that kind of lifestyle. All right, let's take a quick break. I want to come back and talk more about your time in the NFL, both your time with Coach Carroll and Coach Holmgren, and get some of your perspective on what was a really special rookie season for you in the NFL. All of that coming up next. I'm joined by Lofa Tatupu, host of Believe in Seahawks on the Believe Podcast Network, former Seahawks linebacker, still 
to this day, one of my mom's favorite Seahawks players. So uh, with it uh, being Mother's Day this weekend, happy Mother's Day to my mom. I know she's listening, Lofa. Yeah. Happy Mother's Day, Mama. Happy Mother's Day to my mama, too. Mama, too. <laughs> so your last year playing for the team was in 2010, and that was a, a pretty incredible draft class, too, for the Seahawks. You had Russell Okun, Earl Thomas, Golden Tate, Cam Chancellor. Were you able to, you know, being a, a veteran on the team at that point, could you look at some of those guys coming in and, and know that they had a future in the league? I Man, I saw it right away. And, um, you know, I even told John uh, when after the first week of practice where we, we hit the field with those guys, I was just like, man, this and, you know, you can ask John. I said this could be the greatest class that was ever drafted to the Seahawks organization. And then. You know, of course, he follows it up a couple of years. Well, 11 was phenomenal, too. Right. Um, getting KJ, Sherm, uh, Malcolm Smith, you know, the, the MVP of the uh, Super Bowl. And then 12, you know, is, is arguably, I mean, you're talking about potentially two Hall of Famers in that class, right? So, yeah. uh, I, you know, it's incredible what they've done. But, yes, very early on, I saw the talent and, you know, the caliber of athlete we were bringing in. And, and it just, you know, it was unbelievable um, to – to really witness that. What is it? What's the sense that you get from some of those rookies that, that really lets you know that they're going to stick in the league for a while? Um, off the top. I mean, just the fact that they were making plays, I mean, and then, you know, you could tell John and P were going after bigger, faster, stronger, which is what the league is all about, you know? And then, um, just culture fit, you know, guys that were ultra, ultra competitive. Um, you know, we used to run routes, uh, as coaches, when I got to, you know, the opportunity to coach, we ran routes against, you know, the defense and, you know, Cam, Earl, Sherm, and, you know, Bobby, KJ, those guys would not let you catch a ball. And if it got physical, it got physical. You know, it was all, in, <laughs> it was all fun and games, you know, but that's the mindset. And it, then I'm talking, this is a walkthrough. Keep in mind this, you know, this is, we don't have pads on, but Pete's, Pete's out there throwing the ball and, you know, we're, we're competitive too as coaches. So we're contesting these, you know, we're trying to catch that ball, but um, you know, it was, uh, they, they have that, that edge to them. And that's the, those are the guys that John and Pete have targeted over the years. And that's why the decade, it was, you know, it was a decade of dominance. Well, one of the things that Pete Carroll is also known for is culture. And I'm kind of curious, just from your sense, you know, having been with him in college and then gone to the pros and and been under Mike Holmgren and then, uh, you know, being there when Pete came into the league. I, I'm just kind of curious of how your rookie experience was coming in under Mike Holmgren versus the culture under Pete Carroll in, in 2010. Well, I mean, times are different, too. Now, you know, I know it's only, you know, it was only six years, but um you know, it was, uh, you know, and Mike had been, you know, coaching several years, you know, prior to that. So I really, I leaned on my dad for experience, knowing that it was, you know, different times. And, you know, he said, hey, man, rookies are to be seen, not heard, which, you know, that's kind of tough when you're the middle linebacker and you have to call the plays. But, you know, to that extent, he was saying, hey, you know, just keep your, keep <laughs> Keep your uh, your head down and, and work hard, and you know you don't you don't talk unless you know don't speak unless spoken to, and uh, so that's the way I really approached it was that I had to go in there and earn your respect, and that's what everybody, regardless of you know year that you're drafted, that's what you have to do, is uh, you have to earn your respect, um, you know, when you get to the league, and so in that sense, it wasn't really different, but um, what what is different in terms of Pete's style is he he wants everybody to be themselves, and you know. Mike does too now. Mike wants the best version of you. But, you know, Pete, he, you know, 
he's not afraid to let guys have their personality show because he wants them to be, but as long as it's their best them, you know what I'm saying? And that's, that's where they're worse similar, but definitely in 05, we were, we were a little more quieter of a group. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lofa, the schedule came out for the Seahawks just this past week. And I'm kind of curious when you uh, run down the schedule now, is it different than from when you were a player? Uh, I actually, I haven't even seen it. It came out last night, right? It yeah. Did, yeah. <laughs> well, I got a lot of text messages. I guess the Patriots are coming here because, you know, I grew up in Massachusetts. So, you know, I got, got all, all my boys from Boston, you know, just saying, hey, week two, I'll see you. And I was just like, okay. And then, <laughs> then I realized, oh, the schedule came out. So, uh, yeah. Excited to see uh, some of these games. What matchups are you looking forward to the most? Well, you got the home opener against the Patriots, and yeah, Tim Brady's not coming to town, but I think that's still going to be a cool game. Then you have it followed right back up with the Cowboys the following week. And <laughs> of course, you know, anytime San Francisco is on the schedule, you kind of circle that game and uh, yeah. closing out the season on on the road there in, in Santa Clara. That's going to be kind of fun, I think. How many primetime games did we get? Four primetime games total. Uh, That's good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. You got the the Thursday night game against the Arizona Cardinals kind of toward the middle of the season, a Monday night game in Philadelphia. So I, I have to imagine that that uh, sparks a few memories for you. Yeah, <laughs> those are some good times. But I'm excited about the four primetime games for the guys because I feel like we they, they still don't get enough respect out here, you know, um, tucked away up here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so the more chances or opportunities they get to be seeing, you know, the better, because there's still some of that East Coast bias that, you know, we're, we're, we don't, we're not doing anything out here, right? Oh, it's still there, isn't it? it? It has gotten better to some extent, but I know we still see it. In terms of being overlooked, in terms of being disrespected, where do you think that shows up the most for you? Uh, the disrespect for me lies in a guy like Cliff Averill only making one Pro Bowl yeah. with with like 30 forced fumbles, like leading the league, you know, over the, his, the, you know, since he got to Seattle, KJ Wright only making one Pro Bowl. So like, you know, these guys um, just not getting, you know, the respect they deserve in terms of, um, you know, uh, awards or, you know, just things like that, just not, not getting recognized for, you know, how hard they work. Cause you know, I know these guys and I see how much they put into it. And it's, I mean, I think Cliff Cliff's up there around like 75 sacks per career. That's, you know, a cu- if it wasn't for the neck, a couple more years, he's he's peaking at a hundred, and that's that's the Hall of Fame, you know, numbers type numbers. So it's uh it's just always interesting to see how that thing goes down, and um and it's tough, you know, for KJ when you're playing next to to Bobby because you know Bobby he is man, he's he's one of the top linebackers year in and year out, um, especially at his position in the middle, and uh, so it's it's tough, right? Yeah, I, I still don't understand it with some of the legends, too. I think to, of guys like Jacob Green, who, you know, a yeah. hundred sack guy and yeah. you never hear him talked about as one of the best defensive ends in football and a guy who you know isn't in the Hall of Fame either. Yeah, we, we got to write in. We got to get we got to get eight primetime games <laughs> or at least the max. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, you guys dealt with some of that disrespect in that 2005 season, a really special year. And of course, you know, you were coming off a couple special seasons at USC going into that 2005 season. Was there a moment in 2005 where you thought to yourself, you know, this is a team that could go all the way to the Super Bowl? Uh, Absolutely. Um, Just when we started just reeling off those wins. um, So I came off two national titles, right? And. Uh, amazing time at SC and then go right into it 
we we lose to Jacksonville. Then we, you know, we have two games, we win, and then we we lose the heartbreaker to the Redskins, game four, right? But in those losses, uh, you know, looking back, even, you know, when I was a rookie, because I still, I analyzed every game over and over. I realized, you know, we have five, four or five turnovers against Jacksonville. We, we had a couple turnovers against the Redskins, but the defense didn't stop anybody in the first half. So I was like, yeah, we beat ourselves in those games. And when you – so going forward, that's why we when we got out of our own way, we reeled off 10 straight wins and only losing that last game to um, to Green Bay because, you know, we thought it was Brett Favre's last game. Um, I think, you know, the, the offense got to sit after Sean got the uh, – the MVP title or the rushing title record, whatever it was. What was it, 32 touchdowns, 28 touchdowns? I, I, I don't want to say we conceded that game to to Brett because, you know, allegedly he was supposed to retire, and then five years later he's still playing. But, um, you know, and so along that 10-game winning streak, man, it was just um, – there was that feeling, that confidence going into every game. They're like, okay – we're just we're going to beat these guys in every way, shape, and form. And when that happens, as we've seen in some of the championship runs, you know, of um, of the recent, you know, Seahawks and thirteen, and even towards the end of the year two thousand twelve, we saw some real dominant performances. And that's that just shows you how the chemistry is going on the team and uh, how special it can be. Man, I was at that game in Washington in that 2005 season, and it still irks me. Were, were you? I, I was. I was at the game. Yeah. It's oh, like... it was so. You know what I remember from that? Other than the field goal at the end, I remember it was scorching hot it on was. that field. Man, I had to take. I took an IV before the game, at halftime, and after the game. And uh, man. What were you doing out there? I was in the Navy, and so that was uh, one of my few chances to see you guys. I. I was at the Baltimore game, which was an even worse game because up 17 points going into the fourth quarter. I think that was in either 03 or 04, so I don't think you were there yet. But, no, um, yeah, I wasn't there but oh my gosh, that was one of the worst losses. So it, being at that game and then losing the game in Washington in overtime, it was like I, I felt like I was uh, a jinx to the team over on the East Coast. Oh, yeah, if we go to the East Coast, do me a favor, watch it, watch it at a bar. Uh. <laughs> I've done pretty well since Lofa. I, I okay. you know, I was at the any any of the games in Giant Stadium, whether it was a Super Bowl or a regular season game, those have been wins. Next thing you're gonna tell me you were you were uh, sidelined for Super Bowl forty. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, let me back it up and just say thank you for your service. Man. Oh well, thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks, yeah. man. Yeah, I, I wanted to be at the Detroit game, but I, I was stuck in uh, uh, Oklahoma going to a, a, a school there for my for my military service there. So didn't get to make it to that one. And uh, yeah, I, it's one I wish I hadn't made it to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I didn't want to bring it up, Lofa, but here we are at the at yeah. the end of the show. And, it, and now we're talking about it. <laughs> it seemingly always comes up. And, you know, I'm surprised a lot. A lot of people have been leading with it. And, you no, know, <laughs> no, I didn't even want to go there. I wanted I wanted to talk about the turnaround because everybody seems to point to the Washington game. And I was just going to just going to leave it there. <laughs> ah, it's all good, my man. I'm over it. I made peace with that a long time ago. Yeah, I know. It, it, you know, seeing the team win one, it, it was helpful for me as a fan. But uh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, Just uh, seeing seeing Seattle get their title, you know, that's because it's it's all about you know the twelves, man. They they really they won a lot of games for us, you know, in my career, the <laughs> Giants game, you know. So to see the city and. And then them get the title, man. That was uh, that was epic. He's Lofa Tatupu. If you aren't already subscribed, check out his show, Believe in Seahawks, on the Believe Podcast Network. Lofa, appreciate you coming on the show. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. We'll have to do it again sometime.
Definitely a lot of fun. Once again, a happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Hopefully everyone has a great day, and I'll be back again this week to talk more Seahawks football. Subscribe to the show, sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts, or search for field goals where you listen to your shows. Until next time, go Hawks.